You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached during the online worship service of Central United Methodist Church. We are located in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to join us for our live worship experience through Facebook or Zoom every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Visit www.cumcballston.org for details. There you can also learn more about our congregation where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The scripture today is Exodus 14, verses 11 through 15. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kathy. Some years ago, while traveling south along the magnificent Colorado Valley, the valley that runs between the San Juan and the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, I happened to chance upon the Great Sand Dunes National Park. I didn't know they were there. In fact, I'd never heard of them at the time. And what I saw looming on the horizon as I was driving south were large sand dunes. And they got bigger as I drove. Um, They look really incongruous, totally out of place. Curious, I swung off the road to check them out, and that was my introduction to the great sand dunes. I parked at the visitor center and crossed Mendano Creek and eyed the first dune. Now, Mendano Creek is strange. You have the odd sense of everything being reversed. Now, it's a beach with water, but everything's backwards. Instead of a lot of water and a little sand, you've got a little water and a whole lot of sand. That first dune towered over the creek. It looked to be about 60 to 80 feet straight up, and it was a sand dune. Have you ever climbed a sand dune? It's literally one step forward and more than half a step back. When I got to the top, I was winded. I was a lot younger then and a lot better shape, but that was a workout just to get up those 70 or 80 feet. And when I got there, all that I could see, as far as my eye could see, was a vast expanse of sand, sand dunes, just like the pictures you would see of the Sahara sand dunes. It only lacked camels and a few pyramids and a few palm trees, and I would have been in Egypt. There are no tracks, um, so there really isn't any path through, um, a marked path through the, through the dunes. And when you look down some of those dunes, you're, you're at a, sort of the top of the ridge, and you look down, almost straight down, into these dune valleys. 
they are steep. And as I was walking along them, a gust of wind came up and the hat, the one I wear, um, flipped off my head and landed right at the edge of that, of that deep dune. And I knew if that hat went down that dune, there was no way I could go down and come back up. And it was hot. So I didn't stand too long there. Uh, hiked around a bit, got the sense of it. There weren't too many people around either. I got to admit, I was quite relieved when I got back down that, that first dune and into the creek. And I want to tell you, going down a sand dune is a lot easier than going up one. What the guidebook says is very, very true. With the sand, there can be a lot of movement without being any movement, without things really changing. It's as if the sand is somehow alive and breathing, staying the same, but being different every moment. And the same can be true in our own lives. We can have movement without ourselves physically moving. As many of you knew, I was recently ordained by our bishop. And in ordination, you kneel before the bishop, and she places her hands on your head, and she prays. Neither of you move. She stands, you kneel, and the two of you are joined by her hands on your head and by her prayer. There's no movement except her lips. And yet, I was greatly moved. Moved by an experience where I stood still, knelt still. When I stood up, I knew I'd been changed. During those moments of stillness, I was profoundly moved. I'm sure you've had similar experiences. Life means movement, and to be alive is to move. Scripture gives us many vivid pictures of life on the move. Today's reading gives us one of the most colorful. Can you picture the people panicked, caught literally between the rock of an avenging army in destruction and the hard place of an impassable river? They cannot move forward or back without being destroyed. And their complaint was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? They can't move backwards. They can't move forward. Or so they think. And what does God do? He tells them to move. Have you noticed just how much movement there is in Scripture? There's a lot of physical movement. Exodus is entirely about movement of the people um, of God, starting with Moses being placed in the river by his mother, through his escape into the mountains, through his confrontations with Pharaoh and the powers that be, and of course, the movement of the people as they leave Egypt and wander through a desert for 40 years. Scripture begins with movement. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and darkness covers the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moves over the deep. Movements all through the Hebrew Bible. The people of God move to build the tent of meeting in the ark. They move into a new land. They work and fight and advance and retreat. Ruth, Ruth moves 
into a new place and a new people to worship her mother-in-law's God and to be buried with her mother-in-law. Jonah moves first to flee God in a ship and then thrown overboard, moves to do God's bidding. The prophets always seem to be moving, usually in and out of trouble, but in and out of the wilderness and into cities and out of king's courts. We have movement in the New Testament also. Jesus' whole ministry is a ministry of movement. It takes place on the road. Early in the Gospel of Mark, we have a telling experience. This is the first chapter of Mark. In the evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were possessed with demons. The whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not let the demons speak because they knew him. In the morning, rising up a great while before sunrise, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him followed him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he said to them, Let us go into the nearby towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I have come. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus doing exactly this, moving from place to place, moving with his followers. But there are other movements as well. In the Gospels, we see Jesus moved with pity over those who are sick, crippled, hungry. We see Jesus move to compassion and sorrow, and yes, sometimes move to anger. Anger at the hard-heartedness he too often finds in those who should know better. And in the Gospels, we see people being moved. A young woman moved to say yes to God and so bring Jesus into our world. A man moved to go into the wilderness to prepare the way and to preach about Jesus' coming and to baptize with water. Another woman moved to dare touch the hem of Jesus' cloak. A leper moved to return to give thanks for a healing. A woman moved to run into town to proclaim Jesus after meeting him at a well. And twelve who were moved to follow him, both physically and later with the Holy Spirit, spiritually. They cannot move backward. They cannot move forward, or so they think. And what does God do? He tells them to move. Can we be moved by God? Henry Nowen was a well-known spiritual director, and he wrote several books on spiritual growth. And one of them was about following the movements of the Spirit. And he didn't mean necessarily the Spirit of God so much as the Spirit of our own being. Henry wrote about moving with our own feelings, about moving from the hiddenness of shame to the openness of being human, about moving from illusion to prayer, about moving from sorrow to joy and resentment to gratitude, from fear to love and from exclusion to inclusion. He wrote about moving from denying death to befriending death. Henry Nouwen taught about moving on a journey inward that turns into moving on a journey outward, from moving into our hurt places and shameful places and limiting places, and then through them moving by grace into being more human and more available and into more freedom. 
And he writes that we're all equipped for that journey. We, all of us, are on that journey and we are all equipped for that journey and we really don't have any choice in the matter. If you're alive, you're called by God to move. Sorry, there's no escaping that. And for this journey, we need each other and we need sustenance and we need help and we need time and we need courage, which seems for many of us to be sorely lacking these days. And we need all of this as we face a pandemic and forced isolation and as we face major social changes and dissatisfactions and confusions and as we face an election with rising levels of anger and racism as we face government leaders that more and more seem incapable of leading us. Most of all, we need God. And God gives us what we need. They cannot move backward and they cannot move forward, or so they think. And what does God do? He tells us to move. And God tells us how to move. There's a wonderful movie called King of Hearts. It was made many years ago. It's, if you get a chance, if you've never seen The King of Hearts, get a chance to rent it or find it somewhere. It's a story of a young man in World War I who is sent out on a scouting expedition. It's, it's just uh, really a wonderful story. But there's a scene in it where the colonel in charge of the unit, British regiment, calls three men in and they stand there smartly and they come into attention and they salute. And he says, I want you to leave immediately. And of course, they immediately jump up, turn around and race off. And he screams at them, wait a minute. I haven't told you where you're going. God tells us where we're going. He shows us the way. God didn't ask the people of Israel if they wanted to leave Egypt. And for that matter, God didn't ask Moses to lead the people. He told them. He told Moses. God has a way of forcing the issue. The psalmist has a beautiful way of describing this in Psalm 107. He turns rivers into a desert, water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into a salty wasteland. He turns a wilderness into pools of water, a parched ground into a spring of water. There he makes the hungry dwell and they prepare a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and yield a fruitful harvest. He turns rivers into a desert. He turns a desert into a garden. A friend of mine put it this way. If God decides that you no longer need what you've been given, he'll take it away. That might be that loss in life that, that you found so hard. All of us have losses in life. All of us have things that are taken away. It may be a job. It may be um, a chance to get a better education. Maybe money. It may be um, a companionship, a friend. Maybe a spouse or a child. It may be just freedom. Just freedom. It may be what we have now um, where we've had to change so much and found our ability to move and be with each other so constrained. These are losses. Maybe a loss of your health. 
but these can be God-given chances, ways of showing us that we can move, that maybe we have to move. So sometimes God will turn our fruitful land into a desert, and that doesn't mean that we've been wrong or bad. Rather, it probably means that we need to move. The lesson is that we can be moved spiritually by common things, by living our life no matter how we live it. And the question is, can we take our common experiences, can we take our daily lives and find God in those experiences? Scripture shows us how God is present in the real world of physical and emotional experience. Life shows us that God is present in our world, moving in our world, physical and emotionally. This is the great lesson of the Incarnation, of the fact that God came down in the person of Jesus Christ to share this messy, frustrating, sad, happy, and crazy thing that we call life. Ours is a God who not only knows what it means to live our lives, but who earnestly wants to share in our lives. It's a God who tells us, move. And our job is to listen for that voice. And when we hear it, to follow that voice. Now, sometimes we'll mishear. I have. And sometimes we move in the wrong direction or in the wrong way. And Lord knows I have. And sometimes we will try and move back to whatever Egypt, to whatever slavery God has led us out of. But that's why we have forgiveness. That's why we have baked into our Christian lives a God who has mercy and forgiveness for us. And our only real requirement for action is that we believe. For if we have faith, even the tiniest bit of faith, we can move not just mountains, we can move ourselves.